welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, episode number 14, the podcast ministry of Bethesda Church of Huron, South Dakota. Today we are going back into our archives to hear one of our most popular messages from the last year. The message is titled, Surviving the Storms of Life. In this message, Pastor Roy identifies five false assumptions about storms that keep us from learning what God wants to teach us. Open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 23, and join us as we learn how to survive the storms of life. Today I've entitled the message, Surviving the Storms of Life. And certainly, on any given Sunday in our church, we'll have numerous people, maybe dozens of us, who are going through a storm in our lives. We live in a very chaotic world. In fact, so chaotic that somebody said, in the 1960s, people took acid to make the world weird. Today, the world is weird, and people take Prozac to make it normal. And there's, there's I think, truth to that. Um, Somebody said experiencing storms in our lives may not be so bad after all. There's a special place for folks who don't experience storms. It's called a cemetery. As long as we are alive and breathing and our hearts are beating, we are subject to storms. Some of us are in one right now. And God wants to help us. Another wise man said the guys whose troubles are all behind him probably drives a school bus. Um, Our problems are not behind us. Uh, We have problems maybe in our present situation, and tomorrow, if we're not in one today, there's a problem around the corner. You say, that's encouraging. Well, it is when you consider it through the lens with which we talk about today. To do that, I want to share with you five false assumptions about storms. I won't have time to elaborate on them. I don't know if I'll get through all of my notes today. The point is probably not to get through all the notes as much as it is for the notes to get into us and what God wants to teach us today. But there are five false assumptions. See, whenever we go into a storm, if we go into it with a false assumption, we're not going to be able to learn what God wants to teach us. False assumption number one is a follower of Jesus does not have to go through any storms. Some people have the mistaken notion that when you come to Christ, all your problems go away. There's no flat tires, there's no headaches, there's no mechanical breakdowns, there's nothing wrong, there's no sickness, there's no hurt feelings, that everything is rosy. Uh, You might want to read your Bible again. It's far from the truth. We face problems, and some are very significant in our lives. In Acts 14, 22, he says, Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. We will face many tribulations. Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, died. Maybe you are reeling from the death of a loved one. Maybe it's another storm that you are in right now. In 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul said to Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You will face storms. I will face storms. 
False assumption number two. There will always be a warning before the storm hits. Absolutely false. Some of you know that storms come absolutely out of nowhere. It starts off as a normal day and everything is normal and all of a sudden, wham, that storm hits us and we don't know what hit us. And we are in a tailspin. Have you been there? Maybe you're there now. Storms come without warning. So our role is to be prepared for the storm. How do we get prepared for the storm? Well, it depends what happens in the port. What happens in the port of your heart? What happens in the port of my heart? Because what God is trying to do in a storm is move the truth and reality of himself from here to here in a storm. And so we are going to face those. And it will come without warning. There was a guy who was, uh, even he was, a, he was a qualified meteorologist. And he ran up a terrible record of forecasting the weather on the TV news. He became somewhat of a local joke when the newspaper began keeping a record of his predictions that showed he was wrong almost 300 times in a single year. That kind of notoriety was enough to get him fired. He moved to another part of the country and he applied for a similar job and one blank on the job application called for an explanation for re- leaving his previous position. He simply wrote, the climate didn't agree with me. <laughs> and I have a feeling that when you and I get into a storm, the climate doesn't agree with us. I can think of some storms I would rather have avoided in my life, but I'm thankful for what they have done to my faith. Number three, a false assumption. I will not have to face any severe storms. False. If you have the notion that God is going to bless you and everything is going to be good, and you will not have to face a severe storm, you are in for a reality shock. God will allow us to be shaken to the core of our being for the purpose of finding out what we really trust, who we really trust, and what we really believe. It's happened in my own life. It's probably happened in yours. The Apostle Paul was beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, imprisoned, and hardship. You still want to sign up to be a soldier of the cross? Some people face illness. Some people have children who reject God. Some people face divorce. Some people have businesses that have turned sour. Some people have family issues. Some people have broken dreams. Some people have been broken in a trust relationship. Others have addiction problems. Others are reaping bad consequences from sowing wild oats. And you're in a storm. God wants to help you through that storm. False assumption number four, the purpose of the storm is to punish me. If you think that God is out to punish you and putting you into a storm, that may or may not be true. Now, I think there are some storms that are designed to punish us and correct us, but I think there's others that are designed just to merely teach us and temper our faith. And oftentimes, I think it's far more that, where God is trying to temper and grow our faith through that storm. 
Look at the example of Job. Blameless, upright, feared God, stayed away from evil. And he had one storm after another. He lost his sheep. He lost his cattle. He lost his camels. He lost his donkeys. He lost his servants. He lost his children to death. One storm after another without warning. He woke up on a morning just like any other morning. And it was one storm after another. But what was God trying to do? He was trying to showcase his keeping power. False assumption number five, God is not able to sustain me in my storm. That is false. God is able. He's more than able, as the little chorus says, to accomplish what concerns me today. He is able, more than able, to handle anything that comes my way, the song says. He is able, more than able, to make me what he wants me to be. I want to share four lessons that we can learn when going through a storm. It's on the back of your your notes. At least we're going to start on them. We'll see how far we get. Four lessons to learn when going through a storm. And by the way, I don't have this on the PowerPoint, but let me just say this up front. All four of these points will really encapsulate this message statement that I should have probably put on PowerPoint, but it's this. Here's what I want you to walk away from. We can place our trust in a wise and powerful sovereign God who is ever-present to help us in our time of need. I will say it again. We can place our trust in a wise and powerful Sovereign God, who is ever-present to help us in our time of need. If you and I can walk away with that, not just that truth in our head, but start believing it in our heart, you will change, and this church will change. I guarantee it. It absolutely will change. So what is the first lesson that God wants to teach us? Well, if you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, Jesus gives an account. He gets in a boat with the disciples just to take a little boat ride. Well, it became more than a boat ride. It became a storm. But God sovereignly orchestrated it for a purpose. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 23. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him, Without warning. Oh, doesn't that sound like one of the assumptions? (laughs) Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. How convenient. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So what is the first lesson God wants to teach us through this little story? He had the disciples there to teach them, I think, a few lessons, and he wants to teach us as well. Lesson number one, God wants to grow my faith through the storm. He wants to grow our faith through the storm. What kind of faith am I talking about? 
I'm talking about a faith that says, I believe in that which has no tangible proof. No tangible proof. I'm basing it solely on the word and testimony of God and his son, Jesus Christ. And I trust him. An American missionary in Africa wanted to translate the English word faith into the local dialect. He could not find its equivalent, so he went to an old sage and he asked him, this fine Christian, for help in rendering the needed word into understandable language. The guru studied it and finally said, Faith, does it not mean to hear with the heart? Isn't that what Paul said? For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. It means to hear with the heart. Well, how is God going to grow our faith? First, we need to have an awareness of our helpless condition. You see, the problem is we are very self-sufficient people. We can do a lot of things. We can figure things out, we can fix things, we can do things all independently of God and His power and His strength. We can raise our families, we can teach our children. What do we need God for? Well, first of all, you need to realize you can't do any of that without God. I can't do any of that without God. And so God is there for us. Awareness of our helpless condition. One of the worst places to be in a storm in my mind, is in a boat on a lake. And God had them in one of the worst places they could possibly be. Because where are you going to go? <laughs> you going to go in the basement of a boat? There's no rescue boat there. There's no life jackets. There's no Coast Guard right down the way that they can signal and come and get help. There was no other possible means for survival for them except Jesus Christ. And if you are trusting in something other than Jesus Christ for your survival, you are trusting in something that isn't going to be foolproof. And that's what Jesus is trying to communicate to the disciples. You are absolutely helpless apart from me. You need me. Because there's a storm and I can help you. An awareness of our helpless condition. Paul said... In 2 Corinthians, just listen to this while I read this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, Paul says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. Notice, now Paul was one of the most godly people who ever lived. He says, We suffered hardship and we suffered. And yet every time believers begin to suffer and feel a little persecution, they abandon their faith. And the very thing God is trying to do is build your faith through the suffering, through the persecution. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers. We suffered. It was hard. He says, in the province of Asia, we were under great pressure, listen to this carefully, far beyond our ability to endure. We were helpless. Far beyond our ability to endure. So that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope. They were in a storm, and they trusted in God. What are you doing with your storm? 
Are you relying on your own intellect, your own ability, your own strength? How are you handling? How are you as a dad leading your family? Are you doing it in your strength and in your ability? I can tell you, you're not going to make it. How are you handling your marriage and your relationship with your spouse if you are not leaning on Jesus together? Because I can tell you what happens in a marriage when you go through storms is it can cause separation if you're not both leaning on Jesus. Or if you're expecting your spouse to meet all of your needs. Some wives expect their husbands to meet all their emotional needs. Some husbands expect their wives to meet all their physical needs. And my friend, that is not going to happen. And the difference maker is Jesus Christ. He is the one who's going to help us. Do we realize our helplessness? They recognize their physical helplessness to give us a picture of physical helplessness so we would understand our spiritual helplessness. That we are spiritually helpless apart from God. Someone said to really know a man, observe his behavior with a woman, a flat tire, and a child. (laughs) I like that. Because, you know, us men, we're compartmentalized. Give us one thing, and that's enough. You give us three things, we're confused. I mean, and we need God's help. So if I have not recognized my helpless condition, I will be less apt to ask Jesus for help in my life. The second thing we need to do for God to grow our faith in a storm is a willingness to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Some people will follow Jesus. I've done discipling with new believers, and I've made it about three weeks with some, and they quit. I call them, never hear back from them. Call them, never call them, and they never come back. Why? Because you start touching on things in their life that they need to change, and they don't want to change. If you are going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got to do it wholeheartedly, and it's going to cost you something to follow Jesus. I know that's not popular. It wasn't popular in Jesus' day either because the crowds thinned when he started calling for commitment. And you and I, for Bethesda Church to become the church that God wants it to be, we're calling in January for people to come out for Bible training to grow your faith and to grow in doctrine and understanding of who Jesus is and what God wants to do in your life. But you know what? It's going to cost you something. But it depends. Do you want to grow or do you want to stay where you are? It's going to cost you. Something to think about. It's a cost. Following Jesus wholeheartedly. Horatio Spafford was a wealthy Chicago lawyer in the 1800s. He had a thriving legal practice, a beautiful home, a wife, four daughters, and a son. He was a devout Christian and a faithful student of the scriptures, and one of his friends included D.L. Moody. In the late 1860s, life was good for Horatio Spafford and his wife, Anna. They were living in the north side suburb of Chicago with their five children, The doors of their home were always open to everyone. Horatio was quite active in the abolitionist movement. He served as an elder in his church. He was a dedicated Christian. Until now, Horatio and Anna Spafford had led a charmed life. They had everything going their way. However, in 1870, their faith was tested 
by tragedy. Their four-year-old son, Horatio Jr., died of scarlet fever. The Spaffords were devastated. In October of 1871, the Great Chicago Fire broke out, and Horatio had lots of real estate in that area, and he lost his fortune because his real estate burned up. Most of his holdings were destroyed. 250 people died in the Great Chicago Fire, and 90,000 were left homeless. The Spaffords, however, did not despair. Their home had been spared and their family. God had been good. And even though most of their finances had been depleted, Anna and Horatio used whatever resources they had left to feed the hungry and help the homeless and care for the sick and injured and comfort their grief-stricken neighbors. In 1873, Anna Spafford's health was falling, failing, and hoping to put behind the tragic loss of their son in the fire, To benefit Anna's health, the Spaffords planned a trip to Europe. They would sail on a French steamer to Europe with their four daughters. However, a business emergency came up at the last minute, and Horatio had to send his wife and four daughters on the ship by themselves. He said, I will join you in a few days. I will catch another ship, and I will join up with you. He did not want to disappoint them. The Spaffords planned to leave in November... And so on November 22nd in 1873, the steamer was struck by a British iron sailing ship, the Lockhearn. Anna Spafford and her daughters were aboard that ship. The ship sank within 12 minutes in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Only 81 of the 307 passengers and crew members were survived through that shipwreck. Even though the Lockhearn was in danger of sinking, Anna Spafford was picked up by floating debris by the crew of the Lockhorn. An American sailing vessel arrived in time to save the survivors. Anna Spafford was taken to Cardiff, Wales, where she telegraphed her husband, Horatio. Anna's cable was brief and heartbreaking. Saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio and Anna's four daughters drowned. As soon as Horatio received the telegram, he caught a ship to sail over to his wife. And when he got to the spot where his daughters went down in what they said was three miles deep of water, he penned, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot you have taught me to say, it is well. With my soul. He did not know that storm was coming, but he was ready because his faith had moved from here to here. The storm is coming, has, is our faith being transferred to our heart because it's coming. If you're not in it yet, it's coming, and God wants to make you ready for it. Following Jesus is essential for growing in our faith. We cannot weather the storms of life with our own wisdom. If we are serious about following Jesus, we need to realize that he is calling the shots and not me. Following Jesus may mean I will have to face storms in my life that only God will be able to see me through and you through as well. 
Some of you remember the movie Soul Surfer, the story of Bethany Hamilton. From Hawaii, she started surfing when she was a toddler. And then a 14-foot tiger shark attacked her when she was 13 years of age, and she lost her left arm. She had the opportunity recently to share her personal testimony with students, explaining how she coped with that loss after the attack. She says, as I grew up with one arm and relearned how to surf, God taught me he can take the hard times that I went through and turn them into something beautiful. And she said, God wants to do that in your life as well. And so she relayed the importance of living for God and using their passions to overcome the obstacles in their life. And here's what she said that I thought was interesting as she reviewed the storm of losing her left arm. She is, she's now, what, 23 years of age, I guess, somewhere around there. It has been 10 years since I have lost my arm. Listen carefully. And I would never take back anything I have gone through. I would never take back losing my arm because I know God allowed me to go through something like this to be able to come and share with you the message of hope in him. That's someone who has transferred faith from here to here. See, storms are the soil in which God plants our faith and wants to grow our faith. And our action reflects our faith. It really does. I want to give us two measurements of our faith that I think we need to think about. One is a growing faith in a community of believers produces changed lives. The reason I think so many churches are either declining in growth or plateauing in growth is because the faith is not living and growing and active. It changes our lives. It makes a difference. We are investing and reaching out to the lost. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 1.3, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. And when you have a growing faith, you share it. You can't help but share it. In 2 Corinthians 10.15, Paul says, neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand. And when you look at the New Testament church in Acts, when the faith was shared, the church grew. The second thing I want us to consider in measuring our faith is a strengthening faith in a community of believers produces depth. There's a deeper knowledge. There's a hunger for doctrine to know God. You know, the Gospels are all about the life of Jesus Christ. And we study those so we understand who Jesus is and who we are in relationship to Jesus and we find out he's a whole lot greater than we are. (laughs) He is a whole lot greater than we are. And he reveals that to us. And that's why Abraham, even 100 years old and Sarah 90 years of age, he says he never wavered in unbelief, but he believed in hope and the promise of God that he had power to do what he promised. The second lesson God wants us to learn in a storm 
is that God accompanies me in the storm. I don't know about you, but one of the lies of the enemy is you're all alone. Nobody understands your situation. Nobody's had it as bad as you. You have it really, really bad. There's no way possible you're going to make it through this. It's impossible. You're not alone. (laughs) Emmanuel, God with us. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. There's great comfort in that. God is with us in the storm. He is there all the time. Just like we read about a moment ago in 2 Corinthians 1, we despaired even of life, but they set their hope on God who delivered them. Because God is there. God is a refuge. We need to be reminded of that. In Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And what a refuge is, is a refuge is a place of shelter from the storm. God is our shelter in the storm. A place of trust. You know, instead of sitting and having a pity party for yourself, we all do it. Why don't you get out the Bible and remind yourself of the greatness of God and the promise of God and the provision of God the goodness of God, that I will never leave you nor forsake you. That he is there. That I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Why? Because God is with us. He's a refuge. He's a very present help. What that means is we can encounter God in the storm because he's there. He's accessible in the storm. You know how sometimes you get the busy signal or you try to text somebody and you don't hear back? Well, if we don't hear back from God, there's a reason for it, but he's there and he hears the cry of our heart. Clear back in Exodus when the Israelites were in Egyptian bondage, What happened? It says they cried out because of the slave drivers to God. And the Bible says that the Lord heard their groaning. And he delivered them in due time. If God doesn't deliver us right away, he's trying to build our faith and our trust in him. In the midst of the storm, he's saying, trust me when you can't see. Trust me. Walk by faith and not by sight. Trust me. Under King Asa's leadership, they sought the Lord. And in 2 Chronicles 15, 4, it says, But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. That's comforting when you're in a storm. Hebrews 13, 6 says, So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. God is not only our refuge, God is a rock. When I think of rock, I think of power. I think of security and safety. I think of strength of a rock. It's hard to do something to a rock. It's just there. And in Psalm 18, 2, it says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He's my security. In 1 Samuel 2, 2, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. 
In Isaiah 26, 4, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. He is our castle we can run to. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe from the danger. Anything that comes to me is filtered through the sovereign hands of God. I remember when I was in sales and almost without warning, there was an opportunity that came up for me to move from supervisor position to manager, except they wanted me to move and I didn't want to move. I wanted to stay closer to my family. And so I said no, and they said, well, then we will demote you. Wonderful, demote me. (laughs) And so I did, I took the demotion. No hard feelings. But you know what, as I look back through that, God used that in my life in an incredible way. Because I was already working on courses and correspondence through the mail to prepare for ministry. And it was just another way that God was moving me toward the door. It was, it was, you know, just looking back, the hand of God is so faithful. And to prove to them that I, I, I said, you know, I don't take it personally, is the very first quarter I was put back into sales, I was salesman of the quarter. Because I wanted to be a testimony for God in the storm. Because if our faith doesn't work there, it's not worth having. It's just not. If all I, can, all, all I get faith from is being in here and talking to you, and that's the only time it works is on Sunday morning from 10 to 11.30, I don't need it. I'll pack up my wagon and go somewhere else. But if it doesn't work at 1966 Maple Drive Southeast, 24-7, if it doesn't help me there, I don't need it. If it can't help me in my relationships with my spouse and children, I don't need it. And neither do you. Right? But I need it. I recognize I'm helpless. And every week, I need God's help to even give a message. It's his strength, his power that we need. Number three, lesson number three, that God controls the severity of the storm. You know, I have seen people in incredible storms. And, and, you know, you look at that and you say, you know it's the grace of God sustaining them. You're just like, how could they possibly go through that? And because God is holding them up and sustaining them. I don't know who wrote this, but I agree with it. And let me say this first. In controlling the severity of the storm, accepting my storm is from God's hand. It is from God's hand. God has allowed it. We may or may not know the answer of why this side of the grave, and we need to be okay with that. I don't know who wrote this, but I do agree with it. It says acceptance is taking from God's hand absolutely anything he chooses to give us, looking up into his face in love and trust, even in thanksgiving, and knowing that the confines of the hedge within which he has placed us are good, even perfect, however painful they may be, simply because he himself has given them. 
true? Yes. So we accept it as coming from his hand. Secondly, remembering God tailors the storm for my situation. God knows exactly what buttons to push in your life and mine to get at our faith. To know what discourages us, what encourages us, what helps us, what hurts us. And sometimes the hurt is necessary to help us. And I can just hear God. The boys, when they took martial arts, it was, they had to say this little line you know, to their, their partner that said, I'm here to help you, not to hurt you. <laughs> and I think that's what God's saying. I'm here to help you, not to hurt you. But in helping you, I have to hurt you sometimes to help you. In Job 7.3, he says, So I have been allotted months of futility and nights of misery, listen, have been assigned to me. (laughs) Well, who assigned those? There's only one, God. God assigned those to Job. Raymond Edmund, in quiet and confidence, said this, Four little things that I think will help us keep it in perspective. Number one, let me say I am here, number one, by God's appointment. Number two, in his keeping. Number three, under his training. And number four, for his time. Now let me just say quickly on that. By God's appointment, he brought me here. By his will... I'm in this place, and in that fact, I will rest. Secondly, in his keeping, he will keep me here in his love by his grace to behave as his child. Under his training, he will take that trial and turn it into a blessing, teaching me lessons he intends for me to learn and working in me the grace he means to bestow. And number four, for his time. In his good time, he will bring me out again how and when he knows. So each storm that I go through is perfect. It's the perfect storm. God tailors our storms to fit our lives so we will turn to him. The strength and the length of the storm is up to the storm maker and the storm keeper. I'm going to have a stand for a word of prayer. I know I got one additional point. But I think I'm going to stop right here this morning and just have you stand and bow your heads for a moment. And while you do, I would just like you to take a moment and reflect on the message today. Where are you at right now? Are you in a storm? Did you just come through one? Or is God preparing you for the next one? Because that's pretty much the way it works. (laughs) You may be in between storms right now, but there's one brewing. 
I don't mean to be pessimistic. I mean to be realistic. Again, the only way we avoid storms is to be in the cemetery. So I'm asking, what are you trusting in? Who are you trusting in for your storm? How are you as a husband leading your wife and children? Who are you depending on? I'll ask the wife, who are you trusting in to lead you? Do you have a storm in your marriage right now? Do you have a storm with one of your children? This is where the rubber meets the road. It's worthless if it doesn't help us in the storm. But I know it does. And I know God wants to help you, but he will not help us if we don't give him room to work. He wants to grow our faith in the storm. Have you acknowledged your helpless condition before God? And have you cast your confidence in him that you are following him wholeheartedly? You know, one of the things that just irks me as a pastor is to see people who follow God when they're with God's people, and then when they're with their friends, they follow their friends. who maybe aren't living for God. I'm not saying it's easy, but read Daniel. He was a teenager. He resolved in his heart not to defile himself, wholeheartedly trusting God, and God grew his faith. You see, it comes down to who am I going to follow and what do I really believe is the bottom line. Following Jesus wholeheartedly will cost you something. But I will tell you this, not following Jesus will cost you more. How is God changing your life right now and your faith? Do you realize that God is accompanying you in your storm? That he is there that he is going to intervene when we cry out to him in his time and in his way? And do we realize that God controls the severity of the storm? Right before I pray this morning, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask. You say, Pastor, I'm in a storm right now. It's been difficult. And I would just, I'm not going to pray by name for you, but if you just raise your hand and say, would you remember me in the closing prayer? Would you raise your hand right now? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? I'm in a storm right now. I need God's God's grace, God's strength. Anybody else right before I pray? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. My encouragement to you is if you look at the Bible as a book of rules... (laughs) You're looking at it the wrong way. You see, because rules will not help you in a storm. Only relationship will. And that's why we need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Rules cannot help me in a storm. They don't bring comfort and they don't bring help. Only Jesus does. 
If you've never turned your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ and acknowledged your sin before a holy God, would today be the day you realize you are helpless to deliver yourself from your sin? And would you confess it to God and forsake it and become a Christ follower? Commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ is my plea for you today. If the Spirit of God is tugging at your heart, And right before I pray, let me close with this statement that I started the beginning of the message with. We can place our trust in a wise and powerful sovereign God who is ever present to help us in our time of need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege for us to be able to open the pages of Scripture and learn about you. Not a book of rules and regulations, although there are some of those in there, but it's all about relationship. God, that you want to be our rock and our refuge and fortress. You want to be a present help in trouble. You want us to put our faith and confidence and trust in you and not ourselves. God, there's some raised hands here this morning. People going through storms. And they are crying out to you right now. And God, I pray that in the midst of their storm that you will build their faith. That they will not merely look at the wind and the waves. But they will look at the one who controls the wind and the waves. And that you will build their faith. And God, that you will help them day by day to look into the pages of Scripture, to be strengthened in the inner man by your power and your grace. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. As one songwriter wrote, life is hard, but God is good. And you are. And Lord, we realize that we cannot handle the storms of life on the sea of life, unless something is happening in the portals of our heart, that you meet with us in secret and we meet with you to glean wisdom and grace and strength and renewed hope. Lord, renew the hope of that one who is hopeless today. And Lord, if there's one here today who has not bowed their knee to you because of their pride and their unwillingness to confess their sin, I pray that today would be the day that they would humble themselves and receive the grace of God and the forgiveness of God for their sin and begin to walk in newness of life. Lord, we thank you for meeting with us. We thank you for the encouragement of your spirit in our lives. Lord, help us to honor you no matter what Tomorrow holds, we know who holds tomorrow. And we thank you in advance for what you will do in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Have a great Lord's Day. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you have any questions or want to know more about our church, please go to our website at 
www.bchweb.org or find us on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.